As I said earlier, today we're beginning a new teaching series called Praying for a Change. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the great promises about prayer in the New Testament. But right up front, I want you to know that I have no desire to add to your guilt. And almost everyone I know feels guilty about prayer in the sense that most of us feel like we ought to pray more than we do. And it won't help you if I add to that burden. My goal instead is to increase your faith and your joy so that the you will see the boundless opportunities and possibilities of prayer. I remember going to church as a kid and our pastor would talk about how you really weren't much of a Christian unless you got up every morning about 4.30 or 5 o'clock and you spent at least an hour in prayer before the day got started. And I spent a lot of years feeling very defeated because that wasn't the kind of schedule that I could keep. You see, we pick up uh, cues from a lot of different places about what we believe prayer should or shouldn't be. And it's one area of our spiritual life where a lot of us struggle. Others of us think that prayer has to be something different than a normal conversation. So we don't approach God in prayer because we don't think we know how to do it appropriately. We all wish we were stronger in this area of prayer. I think there are at least three things that hinder us from going deeper into this discipline of the Christian life. One is the sneaking suspicion that prayer really doesn't matter. It's easy to fall into the kind of fatalism that says God's going to do what God's going to do. So we stop praying because we think nothing that we do is going to change that. Then there's the fear that we won't pray in the right way. We worry that we won't use the right words or use the right formula and that God therefore won't even bother to hear what we say. And finally, most of us struggle with a little voice inside of us that tells us we've got more important things to do. Prayer's good, but we need to get on with the real business of the day. So we don't pray as we should or even as we would like. So rather than deal with those hindrances today, let me share simply with you that some very good news, and that is that God welcomes prayer. God wants us to pray. He begs us to pray. He encourages us to pray. He pleads with us to pray. Prayer is God's appointed means for us to communicate with him and to receive what we need from him. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew's Gospel, the seventh chapter. Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep, no keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? What Jesus tells us here is to seek and to ask and to knock. These words are in the present tense in the, in the Greek language. Uh, so we legitimately translate them this way. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking on the door. And that means Prayer requires a certain amount of persistence. Some prayers are not answered the first time we pray them. But God's delays doesn't mean that he doesn't care. We are to ask, 
and ask and keep on asking. And we are to seek and to seek and to keep on seeking. And we're to knock and knock and knock and keep on knocking. And if we do, we'll we will receive and we will find and the door will be opened. Now what this passage teaches us, I think can be summarized in three easy statements. God wants to answer our prayers. Secondly, our prayers will be answered, but not always immediately or as we would like. And third, we should lay aside our doubts and continue to pray because of who God is. The words of Walt Gerber are a great encouragement to me at this point. He says, remember, when praying for others, we are not overcoming God's reluctance, but we are laying hold of God's highest willingness. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds, and to him, or to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. These famous words of Jesus describe three levels of prayer. See, not all prayer is alike in its basic nature. Sometimes we're asking, sometimes we're seeking, sometimes our prayers are knocking at the door of heaven. In some poor countries, beggars unashamedly stand by the road with their hands held out asking for money. Sometimes they can be quite bold about it and even irritating to passers-by. And in those moments, it helps us to remember that we would probably be bold too if we were in that situation. Now, I mention that because Jesus tells us that prayer begins with the posture of a beggar. Coming before a benevolent heavenly father, we are to ask God for what we need, knowing that he is able to help us. And the promise is very simple. Ask and you will receive. So level one praying involves the basic needs of life. If you need food, ask God for it. If you need money to pay the bills, ask God to supply your needs. If you need wisdom, if you need guidance, if you're confused, if you need physical healing, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed to bring your needs before God in prayer. That's what it means to ask God for our daily bread. Asking involves laying all of our life before the Lord in order that we might receive from him whatever we need. Now notice how broad this promise is. It extends to everyone who asks. And see how definite the promise is. Jesus said, everyone who asks receives. Not shall receive, not might receive, not may receive, but receives. Prayer begins with asking God for what we need, knowing that when we ask, we will receive an answer. The second level of prayer involves seeking, and seeking implies a desire for something of greater value. It reminds us of Jesus' stories in the New Testament about a woman who searched for one lost coin, or the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one went off and, and he left the 99 and went in, in search of that one stray sheep. Or the man who sought after a pearl of great price, and when he found it, he went home and sold everything he had in order to purchase that one pearl. When we seek something, we rearrange our priorities so that we can search for what we desire until we find it. And this kind of prayer is usually tied up with a search for deeper understanding 
particularly as it applies to the trials of our life. In 2 Corinthians 12, we learn about what the Apostle Paul calls his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was because Paul never tells us. But we do know that three times he asked the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh, this physical uh, suffering. And three times the Lord said, no. That's the first level of prayer. He asked. But he kept on praying, and this time he's praying for insight, and God eventually said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that's level two praying, seeking wisdom from the Lord. And while the thorn was not removed, and evidently never removed from him, Paul gained an important spiritual insight in his suffering that helps us see why this first prayer was not answered. This kind of answer comes only as we repeatedly seek the Lord. Now the third level of prayer is knocking, and knocking means to stand at the door and repeatedly rap on the door with your knuckles. You knock and wait, and then you knock again, and then you say, hey, I know you're in there, <laughs> and you keep knocking. I can hear your voice, come on, open the door, and you keep knocking. If you're on the other side, you know how annoying it can be to listen to someone knocks and knocks and knocks. And that's the, precisely the picture behind these words. They imply praying in the face of difficulty, praying in the face of resistance. If you knock persistently, your desire to enter must be really great. And in the New Testament, the picture of open doors often deals with seeking God's will and praying for new opportunities to share the good news. So it also applies to praying when the object desired involves changing our heart or the heart of another person. Let me tell you a quick story. When Jan and I were in college, we both had a dream that one day we would be overseas missionaries. It was a calling that we both felt from early on in our life. Uh, we, we felt qualified. We knew we'd do a good job at that. At least we thought we did, but there was only one small problem. After months of prayer and writing and listening and, and talking to people, we were not receiving any help in that direction. After numerous attempts to connect with the people who could help us and move us in that direction, every door of opportunity seemed to close. We came to the final few months of my time in seminary, and we still did not have a job offer after graduation. Seven years of college and graduate school and no job offer. That was pretty scary. But then the invitation came. A little like the story of God's call to Abraham, it was a call to go to a strange land, a place called St. John's, Michigan. <laughs> and the offer was to an appointment here in the West Michigan Conference of the United Methodist Church. But we were reminded again of the truth that God gives us guidance when we need it. And generally that guidance comes in the nick of time. For us it was a new job. It was a perfect fit, and all the pieces began to come together at just the right time. But that's how God often works. We do the knocking, and in due season, the door opens. But the question remains, why do some prayers seem to take years to be answered and others answered immediately? I don't know the answer to that, and I find it useless to speculate. 
But this much is clear, if we keep knocking at the door of heaven sooner or later, that door is going to be open to us. That's God's promise. The Upper Room devotional, which some of you use, uh, back in December 21st, 1998, had a story written by Stanislaw Grzbiec of Poland, and here's what he says. Many years ago, when I was a young boy, a friend invited my father to a chapel worship service. That was the day my father found Jesus Christ. He was forever changed from that day forward. Often my father would pray aloud for our entire family. He placed us in God's hands. Many, many years later, my younger brother and I decided to give our hearts to Christ. And our father gave each of us a New Testament to commemorate that day. And inside the cover, he wrote in red pencil, it's happened. Now I'm 70 years old. I know that our family came to Jesus because of my father's prayers. He put us daily in God's hands. And I am grateful to God for a father who never stopped praying for us. Through my father's love and prayers and concern, we found Jesus Christ. And in the same way, I also give my family to Christ, and today all of us are believers. Truly, God answers prayer. As I look at the three levels of prayer, it strikes me that there are no limits here. Anyone can pray to God about anything. And the emphasis falls not on our prayers, but on the certainty of answers from God. Three times Jesus mentions our part in the process. We are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock. But six times he tells us that we will receive, we will find, and the door will be open to us. It's as if God is pleading with us. It's as if he's begging us to dare to come to him in prayer. I'm reminded of the words of Billy Graham a number of years ago when he said, there are rooms in heaven filled with answers to prayer for which no one has thought to ask. How can we be so sure that when we ask, seek, and knock, that we will receive, find, and the door will be opened? Well, Jesus says that our hope in prayer rests not with ourselves, not in the power of positive thinking, but in the very character of the God who is our great Father in heaven. Listen again to verses 9 and 10. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Good parents are eager to help their children. This is what parents do. They give good things to their children. If your child asks for a sandwich, do you give them a stone instead? Not likely. If they ask for a glass of milk, will you give them a snake instead? No. What if they beg? No. What if they plead? Probably not. What if they say, I can't live without that snake? I'm guessing you're still going to say no. See, children often ask for foolish things, which we don't give them because we know it's going to be bad for them. And the same is true with God. Often we plead for things that seem to us like something we really need, something we, we really want, but to God, they're like the poisonous snake. And God says no, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Sometimes God's no is the surest sign of his love for us. Suppose your five-year-old comes up to you today and says, would you give me a sharp kitchen knife to play with? <laughs> what are you gonna do? 
You say, no, of course. You let him cry, you let him pout. His tears show his immaturity. But if you give him that knife, somebody's going to get hurt. And you wouldn't love him very much. You see, we often ask God for things that will harm us. Maybe it's to win the lottery. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a bigger salary or a new husband or a new wife. I'm not sure what, but we ask God for lots of things. But God sees through all of that to the end, to the bigger plan, to the bigger purpose. And he knows what we have asked for might harm us more than it will help us. So in love, God says no. Verse 11, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now this argument in this verse is from the lesser to the greater, from the human to the divine. My father passed away about almost three years ago. His birthday was just a few days ago. He would have been 90 years old. My father was not a perfect man, but I never doubted that my dad loved us intensely. I'm not a perfect father either, but I hope that my children never doubt how much I love them. But you see, there is one who is much greater than any of us, whose heart is pure, it's good, whose love knows no limits, and he is our heavenly father. And he invites us to come to him in prayer. And that's the real meaning of the phrase in this verse, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? To those who ask him. God knows so much more than we do. God cares more than we do. He's richer than we are. He's more willing to answer our prayers than we are to have answers. But how can we be sure that God cares for us so deeply? Just go to a hillside outside of Jerusalem near the Damascus Gate. Look closely at three men who are dying there on Roman crosses. Study the scene closely. Listen to the jeering crowd and ponder the words being spoken by the man on the middle cross. And there you will find your answer. We know that God loves us because he gave his only son to die for us. And he did it without being asked. He sent his son to earth while we were in rebellion against him, knowing that we would put him to death. Will he now refuse any good thing that we ask of him? You see, the cross proves that the heart of God is good, and we come to that heart every time we pray. Now, I want you to notice the final phrase in this text. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, we should expect God to answer our prayers, but we can expect nothing without prayer. In the deepest, most profound sense, God's blessings are limited to those who are asking for them. And he's not inclined to give if we don't ask. The gates of heaven open up to those who pray. I can wrap up this message in three simple statements. The invitation to pray comes from the great heart of God. Our doubts come from our own heart. And we have to decide whether we're going to put our trust and our belief in God or in ourselves. You see, we doubt God's goodness. So we don't pray. When hard times come, we give in to worry and despair because we've forgotten how, God, how good God has been to us. 
And a good memory of God's blessings will strengthen us in our times of trouble and give us the courage to continue to pray. I've been with a lot of people over the years who were dealing with end-of-life issues, either related to their own death or the death of a loved one. Some of those were people who were filled with anxiety and fear and anger and hopelessness because they lacked a real faith in anyone or anything greater than themselves. But I've also been with people who did not fear death, who left this world with a smile on their face because their hope was solidly anchored in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Stephen was one of those people. And he told everyone that the secret of his strong faith consisted of a simple statement that goes right to the heart of of Christian teaching. If you know the Lord, you don't need to fear dying because if you know the Lord, you're never really dead. (laughs) And isn't that what Jesus said? Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Steve lived the final days of his life in an unstoppable fashion. His faith was indestructible. You see, the devil can't touch a person like that because the devil's weapon, ultimate weapon, is the fear of death. And if we aren't afraid to die, then the devil has no power over us. So herein lies the powerful secret of dynamic prayer. Count your blessings instead of your problems. Focus on what God has done for you instead of how you wish things had turned out. Think of all the good things that have come into your life in the midst of even difficulty and suffering. And when you remember the goodness of God, you'll have no trouble asking, seeking, or knocking. So my encouragement to you today is to keep on praying. Don't be discouraged by days, by delays, or by defeat or circumstances, let the words of Jesus continue to fill your heart. Ask and ask and keep on asking. Seek and seek some more and keep on seeking. Knock and knock and knock and by God's grace the door will be open to you. That's the promise of God. So let's prove that promise and believe it as we pray this week. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this time together today, we thank you for what you have accomplished in us. May your word to ask and to seek and to knock serve as a catalyst to move us forward and cause us to be persistent and see growth in all the areas of our lives, especially in this area of prayer. And may we leave here today recognizing that you are the God of all wisdom and you want us You want to bless us and you want to give us the desires of our heart. And this is our prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.